Welcome to Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. <laughs> you forgot that for a second, huh? And I'm... S- <laughs> See what happens when you uh, seek to mock? Uh, shut up. <laughs> um, my name is Matt Henry. Uh, we're going to do another episode on spiritual motivators. Uh, this one is going to sound strange, maybe. It's, it's learning to embrace shame. Um, these series in this episode series is, is one on how do we motivate ourselves in our spiritual walk? What are ways we can help ourselves or others actually be motivated to press on in faithfulness in that life? And so we, again, we want to encourage you to listen to these episodes with others. Uh, some are great when you're just in a car, but this is actually, uh, these are the kind that you can actually sit down with a wife or some friends and listen, and then out of that, have discussion and maybe encouragement with each other. Uh, In fact, if you're in a discipling relationship, but you're not sure what you ought to be doing in that relationship, then the Spiritual Motivator episodes can likely help get you going on key issues that need strengthening. So we're going to talk today about something that's possibly strange to your ears. It's learning to embrace shame and weakness as a means to motivate you spiritually. All right, let us give a sense of then what we mean, uh, and then we'll get into some of the specifics. Uh, Americans and many other nations dislike weakness, Um, and that that makes sense for a nation, but for a Christian, weakness is likely a norm, even if you try to pretend that it's not. Uh, There is a horrid, (laughs) maybe that's even too kind kind of a word. Uh, a, there is a horrid uh, little book that was a bestseller. It was called The Law of Attraction, um, and that had many spinoffs. Um, many within the, the visible church in America grabbed a hold of that um, teaching, and then they Christianized it. Um, but what you should understand is that, it's frankly, it's heresy. Um, it is simply a form of Eastern mysticism uh, that it's connected with uh, the uh, New Age practices and Hinduism, uh, all that good stuff. And it has nothing to do with the Christian faith at all. And it is contrary to sound doctrine. Uh, another way to put it, it's evil, avoid it. Um, but in the, the concept of controlling your, your thoughts, um, or in it is the concept of controlling your thoughts uh, and contr- controlling your words. Um, what you think about and what you say have power. This is what this thing is teaching. Um, so if, if you want joy, then you must think about joyful things. Uh, you must speak joyfully. Uh, to complain or be angry merely attracts more anger, not joy. If you want to see this, just uh, listen to Joel Olstein for 10 minutes. Um, actually, yeah, them, Bethel Red, at Reading. Positive thinking, blah, Kenneth blah, blah. Copeland. Yeah, any one of those health, wealth, uh, T.D. Jakes, they're all doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, they, they would say to complain or to be angry merely attracts more anger uh, and not joy. Yeah. Um, that sounds sort of Christian-like, um, but you must deny sickness and 
declare health no matter what, they'll say. Uh, you must declare happiness and fulfillment even if you're re really falling apart. Uh, you must declare, um, declare, then keep declaring some more. Um, because whatever's happening in your life, the implication is that it's on you. Um, you're attracting this somehow. In fact, I had a girl I worked with at McDonald's. So I'm talking high school, long time ago, and um, in the 70s. And she, uh, was a, she said she was a Christian. I assumed she was like a typical 16-year-old, okay. Um, but she had severe bursitis in the shoulder, and she would lift up. She and I would work the grill together, and she would push the uh, finished product up. Back then, they would then take the finished product, and up front, they would wrap them up and put them under heat lamps. And at times, she would try to lift the tray up, and she couldn't. And she would, oh, ow, it hurts. And, and I asked her, I said, what's wrong? She's like, oh, I have bursitis. And then she said, no, no, I don't. I'm in perfect health. My shoulder is strong. And I'm, I'm thinking, what is going on? But she had bought into this uh, name it, claim it that was really popular. Back then it was Kenneth uh, Copeland, uh, the guy Hagen. I can't remember his name. But they were all over there, and that's what she was in. And so she was literally in obvious pain and was declaring that there was no pain and no injury and no problem. And even at 16 as an idiot, you know, yeah. I could look at that and like, that's stupid. When I, when I was at CareNet, um, when I worked at CareNet, I had a, a client uh, come in with his daughter. I think she was like one and a half at the time. And he came in with his girlfriend and he was wacky. He was vaguely Christian, but the weird kind who yeah. was buying, buying into this stuff. Um, and I just, I asked her how she was doing and she's like, well, it's been a rough week. I said, oh, I'm sorry. Why? And she said, well, our daughter's sick and he refuses to give her medicine or oh. take her to the hospital. And I mean, she was sick. Um, and sh she didn't say that by him, but then later on they were in my office and he's holding his daughter and she then proceeds to projectile vomit all over my desk my floor, my chair, my computer. I mean, it's just everywhere. He literally puts her on the ground, lays her on her back, slams his hand down on her forehead and says, you're not sick, you're not sick. I command you not to be sick. And then I'm like, dude, like you need to go take care of this. And he's like, no, it's fine. She's not sick anymore. Wow. And I'm looking at a poor one and a half year old little girl who's very, very ill. Yeah, and you know what? A lot of our listeners are aware of this kind of stuff. They've seen it. And if any of them are getting attracted to it, we're trying to say it's wrong. Yeah. So uh, with things like this, what we find interesting is that you will never find teachers speaking about wanting to attract shame or <laughs> weakness. <laughs> That's our point. Uh, these are things to spurn and to avoid. We don't want shame. We don't want weakness. But the Bible sees it very differently and so should you. So we're going to take a look at some examples of, of what we're talking about here. First of all, we need to understand that shame is built into the gospel. Uh, Paul actually then talks about that in Romans 1.16, where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, why does he say it that way? Well, the cross and what it represents, especially in his day, where people are being crucified, is it represents 
that which is shameful and weak in the eyes of the believer. Uh, but sadly, it's often true for believers as well. And here's what I mean by that. If you're honest with yourself, often the very reason you do not share the gospel is because you see it as weak and ineffective in some way. Um, or you're afraid because of when you speak it, you'll find that the response is one of ridicule or anger. And so you shrink back. Um, you're, you're afraid to or you're reluctant. And all you're saying is, I, have, I see shame in the gospel. I am ashamed of it. But when you do it, you're merely indicating that you carry that level of fear, that you will suffer shame, and it indicates a certain level of unbelief. Not unto apostasy, but simply it's nonetheless unbelief. So Paul says in the very next verse, for in the gospel, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. And that's why he's not ashamed of it. It's the very character of the gospel that gives him the confidence. How people respond to it, how they view it, and such has no bearing on how he actually views it. We tend to view it from the response, from what the response of the person will be, rather than from what is the essence of the gospel itself. I hope I'm making that clear. <laughs> yeah. um, it is the very power of God for salvation. In fact, God's power is seen in this very weak, shameful appearing thing called the gospel. So let's hear this again, but now from another text of Paul's. Yeah, uh, he says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So in this context, it is with the proud and messed up Corinthians. Uh, verse 17, Paul says something very interesting and then explains it when he writes afterwards uh, what we just read. Uh, he says, Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, uh, so that the cross of Christ should not be made void. Um, so catch that. For Paul to come preaching the gospel, it means that he cannot seek to do it in some clever manner. Uh, no rhetorical trick uh, to capture the minds of the unbelievers is, will work. Um, this passage alone should challenge all of us in how we evangelize and what we like to sometimes regard as good preaching. Uh, notice also that this is not some private decision that Paul made. He says that Christ sent him to preach the gospel, uh, but that he is not to do it in clever speech. That's, that's crazy. Christ right. literally said, go preach the gospel, just don't do it in a clever way. Yeah. Why? Because it's in the weakness that the power of God is made manifest. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so he literally was sent to preach a foolish, shameful, and weak sounding gospel that he knows is actually the power, power. of God unto salvation crazy mm -hmm. now listen again to the verse we started with in 1 Corinthians 1:18 again it says for the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness but to us who are being saved it is the power of God so what he is saying there is that the gospel message is inherently foolish sounding to the world and so all we're telling you is embrace it if we don't if we then ignore that and try oh so hard to make it sound unfoolish, what we end up doing is making the cross of Christ void. Mm -hmm. That's brutal. This would be a great place actually for you to pause this little episode and give it some thought. Are you ashamed or are you unashamed? Are you into clever speech or are you into a simple declaration of the gospel? Yeah. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.8, uh, 
uh, Paul there also says, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join, that's interesting, his prisoner. Yes. Um, and he's in prison. Even though he's, he's in prison, prison right? with Rome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. That's all, this thing is worthy of like five, six sermons if you really <laughs> just tear it apart. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, so Paul, Paul here is about to die, um, and this is his final letter to Timothy. Uh, so keep that in mind. When the Roman government jails you, there's a huge stigma attached to it, and it carries a large amount of shame. But it's also key to understand that this shame gets attached to everyone who attaches themselves to that one who is in jail. So Timothy, uh, he is going to be tempted to be ashamed of Paul. Uh, in other words, he could easily do what Peter did when he denied Jesus. Um, but also, if, if you are ashamed of Paul because he is in prison for the gospel, what Paul is saying then you're all, is that you're also ashamed of Jesus, who is the gospel. Um, so he exhorts this, this young uh, man to not allow it. Um, so how is he supposed to do that? Well, um, by, by choosing to join Paul in suffering for the gospel. Um, Which, again, that's just so radically contrary to us. Yeah. We spent our whole life trying to avoid that. How can I share the gospel and not pay for it? <laughs> yeah, we want to do it from a position of power. Um, so again, the, the, what is that though? So it's an call to embrace weakness, to accept that the gospel will bring shame and difficulty upon you and that there's no way to avoid that. Um, you know, except of course, if you're going to deny it or hide the gospel. Yeah. Um, so how do we join Paul in suffering? Well, by doing it in the power of God. What does that look like? Well, it is not like what we see in so many sermons or Christian movies, which is triumphalism. Yeah. Rather, it is the power of God or the power that God gives in the moment to press on and endure to the end. And it usually does not end with the world weeping at your passing. Rather, it is being buried and forgotten by all the world, but not your heavenly father. Yeah, that, that triumphalism is sneaky because it gets in there and, you know, the marriage is in the Christian movie, the marriage is miraculously saved. Um, the football team wins, the, whatever it is, right? It always triumphs, but that's not really the nature. It's, it's resting in the power of God that you're just going to be faithful to the end, even though the world mocks you and buries you in an unmarked grave. It's like um, so contrary to American thinking, though. Uh, next one is Mark eight thirty eight. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. So here we have our Lord's words to confront us. So two ways we can be ashamed and shrink back from what ultimately is our salvation, where we are ashamed of Jesus or we're ashamed of his message. But either way, it won't end well for you. And here is the rub, though. The pain and the horror of this will happen at his return. And so that requires eyes that can believe in his coming and actually want it to happen. But it's easy to forget that he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. Instead, what we see is just this age and all of the promises that it offers, but they're all lies. All we have to do, I, I was thinking as I wrote that, um, of 
what Satan was telling Satan, um, yeah, Jesus in his temptation, just bow down to me, just do this, just do that. And it's and like, I'll yeah, give but, you everything, yeah. Yep, but it's not, that's not the road he was to pass through. Yeah, the, what is the old adage? Um, he was promising him the, the crown without the cross. Right. And so it, that's all we're doing. When we become ashamed of that message or of Jesus himself, we're forgetting that Christ is going to return. Um, and, and all of those promises that were given, if we'll just compromise, will be wiped away because they'll be gone, but Christ will remain. So stay with, by faith, what is promised um, in spite of the fact that everyone is screaming at you that you're an idiot for doing it. So all we have to do is avoid Jesus and what's taught. And in pulpits and blogs and, and, and such across the world, we see this played out time and again. To listen to what is said and not said about Jesus and what he taught is rather sad and even disgusting in many places. In fact, here's an example. Jesus tells us that to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is unforgivable. But then you have Steve Furtick squirting people with a super soaker to illustrate the anointing of the Spirit. Or you have the wife of Bill Johnson at Bethel in Reading describe the Holy Spirit as a genie in blue jeans. But then you can get the church at large, but can you get the church at large to denounce that is actually evil? No. Instead, it gets mimicked because these clever tricks seem to work. But if we're faithful to the words of Jesus, then we will suffer ridicule, we'll suffer rejection, but not from Jesus when he returns. Yeah. Um, so in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now the image here is one of a race that, um, and, and the need to strip away anything that hinders us, and instead we are to set our eyes on why we are in the race. Um, and set our eyes upon Jesus uh, because he is that author and finisher of our faith. But in verse two, the writer says that Jesus endured the cross. Um, this is a, a play on words with the term endurance in verse one. Uh, it's the same root, but with a different sense to it. So in verse one, the endurance involves striving against sin and folly in the face of weariness. Uh, but in verse two, uh, it's more of a passive meaning where Jesus put up with um, or endured or tolerated an utterly degrading experience. In other words, the writer is not focusing on the fact that Jesus paid for our sin, uh, but that it was a, a horrible ordeal that he there endured. Um, then the writer says that Jesus instead despised the shame. This is essentially saying that he gave the same, or that the shame, the ultimate brush off, uh, if you will. He, he gave it no regard in his decision-making. Yeah. Um, so, so when we embrace the fact that the entire essence of what we believe is a concept of shame to the world, then we can be like our Lord and just brush it off. Um, and, and when that happens, we can then be strong in our faith. Um, and that uh, is a great motivator. All right. So just a quick application here before we sign off. It, it's not our way as fallen creatures to naturally embrace weakness because sin at its core seeks to go its own way and in, in its own power. But God calls us to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. 
This is contrary to everything in this age. And it is when we pick up that cross, meaning we embrace it, that we are now motivated to press on toward maturity, but not a maturity of which this age would approve, but a maturity that leans into shame as we fix our eyes on Jesus, that author and finisher of our faith. So remember to keep looking for new episodes uh, on this, uh, how, how we can be motivated to walk and grow in Christ. Make sure to tune in, join the conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts on embracing shame, but also don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review on iTunes, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and tell a friend. Mm-hmm.